Hi. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Alyssa, and I'm one of the pastors here this morning. It is so good to be in worship with you on this beautiful summer day. Um, if this is your first time with us, if you're a guest, we would love to extend a special welcome to you. We have a gift for you. It has um, some information about Central City as well as some next steps that you can take if you're looking to get involved um, with this community. Um, there's also a free drink from Stoff's Coffee, which is just a couple of doors down from here. So if you want to grab that on your way out this morning, it's at our um, guest services table out by the front doors that you came in through. Um, when you arrived today, you should have received an update, and probably about half of you received a Connect card as well. Um, so if you are um, new with us or if you are looking to get involved in some way, if you want to fill out that Connect card on it, mark if you're interested in serving or interested in a small group. If, you, if there's something you're praying about that you want us to join you in prayer with, we'd love to do that. You can mark that on the back of the card. And throughout the service, if there's anything, whether it's one of our announcements or something that we bring up in the sermon or the teaching, um, if you want to mark that on that, if you're interested in learning more about it, or if you're curious about it, or if you want to have a conversation about it, you can mark that on your Connect card as well. That can go in our Dropbox. It's right outside of these auditorium doors. It's a black box that looks like that. Um, so you can just drop that in the Dropbox on your way um, out this morning. A couple announcements. Um, we are moving to a new location. So you weren't as excited as I was about that. <laughs> So we're moving to a new location on July 8th. So we've been here at the theater since September, and we have um, loved being at the theater. It's a great location um, for a movie theater. It's not necessarily a great location. Uh, the space doesn't work as well as we um, would like for a church, So uh, particularly for our kids. Our kids are kind of cramped in there next to a bar. Did I mention that? Um, so we are moving to this new place. It's called CA Backspace. It's on Virginia Avenue, just a couple blocks from here. You can still walk, I hear. Um, so if you walk to church this morning, you can still do that. Um, so we'd love for you to join us on July 8th. And we're really excited about this. After the service on July 8th, we're going to have a potluck because we can do that in this space. So we're going um, to provide some drinks and, and maybe some... Uh, we're not sure yet, but we're going to provide some stuff. And then we have set up a doodle poll for you guys to say what you want to bring. Last time we did a cookout, everyone brought salad. <laughs> Who does that? Like, typically there's like, everyone brings desserts or something, but we had like 20 salads. They were all really delicious, but there were 20 of them. So we uh, created a doodle poll that will be in... Um, it's uh, on our website, so if you go to centralcity.co backslash podcast, um, you can click on the move, um, move announcement, and you can click on the doodle poll and sign up for something that you want to bring on July 8th. Um, it'll also be in the email that we send out on Tuesdays. So if you don't get that, make sure to sign up for that. So... Um, also, this summer, uh, every the last Friday, the last Saturday of the month, um, this summer through September, Grandview hosts the Grandview Hop. It's where all the vendors, um, all the shops are open late, the restaurants, tons of people come out and fill the streets. And um, we're going to be there with a tent, and we are going to be holding up a sign that says, "This is." It's an Instagram photo booth, and it's going to. It says, "This is Grandview," and we just want to build community, meet our neighbors, and so we're going to be taking pictures out on Grandview Avenue at the Hop this, sun, this Saturday. Um, it's from 5 to 9 p.m., and we would love for people to hang out with us. So Joe and I are going to be there hanging out. We would love for you guys to come out, even if you're just going to stop by for a half hour. So if you want to come um, hang out with us, meet some neighbors in Grandview, and share a little bit more about our church, we'd love for you to join us. We also, on Tuesday, there's a lot of announcements because there's just so much going on, but we're so excited about all of it. So um, on this Tuesday at 7 p.m., we are going to start doing a monthly movie night. So here at the theater, we're still going to be here once a month um, watching a movie and then having some conversation about it afterwards. So this month, we're going to watch The Incredibles, which we're so excited about. Um, so if you want to join us at 7 p.m. on Tuesday night for, uh, for the movie and then join us and stay after for some conversation, uh, we'd love to have you. That's it for the announcements, but if any of those, if you're interested in any of those, make sure to mark it on your Connect card um, so that we can follow up with you later this week about those.
If, we, if you have been impacted at all by Central City, whether it's by coming to worship on Sundays or by being in a small group or serving in, in whatever capacity, um, and you feel called to support the mission and ministry that God is doing through us, um, we'd encourage you to give generously, whatever that means for you. You can either text any um, dollar amount to the number that's on the screen. You can go to centralcity.co backslash give, um, or you can give uh, by putting money in the black drop box on your way out with, um, with your Connect card. So we'd encourage you to give generously if you um, feel called by God to do that. Would you pray with me as we move into the sermon? God, we uh, know that you are here with us this morning, that you have called each of us here for your purposes, and that you have something to say to us. God, we love you, and we want to be open to who you are and what you're doing in this world. So we pray this morning as we hear your message, as we hear your scripture read and talked about, that you would open our ears and our eyes to see what you're doing and how we can jump in and be in the midst of that with you. God, we pray that this morning that we could leave changed people, that we could leave uh, more compassionate, loving, and Christ-like people so that we can go out into a world that so desperately needs you. God, open our hearts to hear your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Apparently my mic batteries were going out. So we are in a new sermon series. Uh, we started last week, and it's called Focus. Uh, we really wanted to dive in and focus on, um, on what makes us who we are. Who is Central City, and who do we want to be? Who do we feel like God is calling us to be in this neighborhood and in this world, the impact that we can have on people? And so we really were praying about what, we, what we're calling prescriptions, these prescriptions are things that we see that we really feel like these are what God is calling us to be, and this is what we want to work on. This is what we want to focus on over the next several weeks, as well as this is who we want to be in the future. And so we identify these prescriptions as um, transparency, compassion, excellence, sacrifice, evangelism, and diversity. Now, we all have, like, different connotations for each of those words, right? Like, so when I say those, you're all thinking about what that word means to you. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at each of those individually. Last week, we talked about transparency, and today we are going to be talking about compassion. And to be honest, we weren't going to talk about compassion specifically. It's still one of our prescriptions, but we weren't going to focus an entire sermon series on it because we feel like we talk about compassion every week. We come here and we say, this is what scripture says, and scripture tells us to love people who are in the margin. Scripture tells us to love the poor, to love the hurting, to love the broken, and to be compassionate. And we are constantly pushing you guys out and saying, you have to come here, and you have to serve, and you have to meet people that are different from you, and you have to love people. And so we are like, well, let's just, you know, give it a break. We won't talk about it this time. We'll just talk about all the other stuff and know that you guys have heard all of our other sermons. Well... Then the last couple weeks happened, and it was a lot, right? I'm sure scrolling through Facebook is not as pleasant over the last couple weeks as it maybe is sometimes in the past. Now, we saw a couple weeks ago a couple high-profile celebrities committed suicide, and that was really hard for people to see these people who look like they have everything put together and they end it, and, you know, we don't know them. We don't know what was going on with them. But I have to say, like, people commit suicide all the time, and we don't focus on it. Homelessness and panhandling here in Columbus has been in the news recently as they're trying to pass legislation to, to address some of the more aggressive panhandling. Human trafficking, oh, my goodness. I have to tell you this story. So... We have all heard of human trafficking. We all, you know, are just disgusted that people are sold to work or 
for, for labor, for sex, and it's just a, it's a terrible thing. I know many of you in this, in this room have um, been to trainings or done stuff in this area. Well, this last week, um, as, a, as a church, we had the opportunity to participate in a human trafficking sting operation with the city of Columbus. So um, we, we manage a building in Franklinton, just, west of, just south of here. It's um, an old United Methodist Church building. And uh, the city of Columbus came to us and said, we are doing this undercover operation, and we need a building in this neighborhood to house this operation. And so what this operation was is the, the police were going to go out undercover, and they were going to arrest women and men, um, women who were selling sex and men, and um, men who were going to pick up women, and they were going to bring them back to our old church building, and they were going to arrest them, process them, and everything. But instead of them taking them straight to jail, they brought them downstairs, and um, there was hot, a hot meal. There were clothes. Um, there were people from different organizations who were offering services um, like housing and recovery and um, stuff for ch their children. We had our Celebrate One connector there. And so instead of just taking women who are typically they just arrest them and take them to jail, this week we had the opportunity to actually love on these women, to hear their stories, um, to, to cry with them in some cases, to, um, to know their names. And uh, that was crazy. That was the most insane thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> like, bar none. We're going to do it again, too. So stay tuned. Um, so, so we have, so there's been suicide. There's been um, issues surrounding homelessness. There's um, human trafficking in our neighborhood. Uh, Franklin County has already seen 111 deaths in 2018 due to overdose and 84% of those were opiate-related. Um, and the big one that everyone across the country is talking about is this zero-tolerance pol zero policy around um, people seeking to come into the United States as immigrants um, and families being separated, and it's just disgusting at any level. Um, and so we said this week, we said we can't not say something about all these things. We talk about compassion every week, and I, you guys are compassionate people. I know you. You guys are compassionate people, so I'm not saying this because we're not compassionate. I'm saying it because as a church, we have to be talking about these things, and we talk about these things all the time, so you get to hear it one more time. Um, if, if you are curious, I'm not going to spend time on immigration or any of these um, individually, if you're curious about any of them individually, write it on your Connect Heart of Love to have conversations about them. If you're, if you're curious about um, our take on, on immigration, recent U.S. immigration history, as well as the church's response to that, Joe uh, preached a sermon back in March that you can find on our podcast page if you want to go back and listen to that. I'd also encourage you to call your, continue calling your representatives, writing letters, uh, going to marches, stuff like that. People need to hear our voice, especially as Christians, as the church. So this is a lot. It's really heavy. All of you are like, came to church, and now I'm like, ugh. But many of us are also facing difficult situations as well. I mean, we have, like, financial issues and relationship issues and um, death of loved ones. I've had three people, family, die in the last couple weeks. Um, people are, are dealing with cancer and overwhelming stress and depression. So... So there's like these big issues, but then we also, each of us have our daily stuff that we're just dealing with, right? And it's really hard. Like life is just really hard. But I want to tell you that we are hardwired for connection. Literally the way that our brain was created is made for connection. When we are isolated from people, all of these problems get worse. But when we come together, when we are sitting next to someone, when we are in a room with another person and we can talk to them and be vulnerable, that is what life is all about. So even in the midst of all of these difficult situations, when I'm able to sit down and have a hard conversation about it, I feel better. We, we're now in this together. I'm not alone. We are hardwired for connection. Connection is why we're here. It gives us purpose and meaning and connection is all about story. When I can tell my story, the experience that I've had, whether it's an individual experience or my life story, when I can share that with you and you listen, 
That is powerful. And when you can share your story, your life experience, your, your particular situation that you're going through, and I'm here to listen, that is so powerful. And compassion is all about stories. Hearing and listening to stories. All of these things that I mentioned before, uh, addiction and depression and um, families being separated and violence and homelessness and hate towards our LGBTQ brothers and sisters and, and death, all of this stuff separates us from con connection. We have fear and shame and distrust and, and judgment and bitterness. All of this separates us from connection. So in those moments when we're feeling like we're separated, isolated, the most powerful thing that you can do is share your story. Share your experience. Have a conversation with another person. Listen to another person's story. You know, the, when I'm feeling depressed or outside of myself and I don't know what's going on, if I walk outside and I see another human being and I say hi, I am immediately lifted. I'm immediately brought back to this place where I'm human and I can connect with another person. I want to open the scripture and talk about um, this one particular instance where Jesus was really feeling this human connection with people. I want to look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. It's not going to be on the screen because I'm really bad at slides, guys. I really, <laughs> I really hate putting slides together. That's my personal experience right there. Really hate slides. But Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, you can look at it um, if you brought a Bible or a phone with you. I'm going to read through it. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. So Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, and, and the things that he, he was teaching, he was preaching, and he was healing. And so as Christians following Jesus, what we're called to do is to teach, to preach, and to heal. We teach people about the love of God. We teach them what it means to love one another. We preach when we declare that the kingdom of God is here right now. That's what preaching is. It's a herald. It's someone proclaiming, this is God's kingdom. God is here right now with us. And then we heal. We heal every disease and sickness. When I, when I, so Jesus had already been walking through the towns and seeing all of these people and, and knowing their pain and dealing with it. But he comes to this crowd and he looks at this crowd and he has compassion on them. Now the Greek word here from compassion, I'm going to butcher it because I never took any language, any Greek language classes. But from what Google's translation told me, it's, the word is splonknizomai. Do you guys want to say that? Because it's fun. Splonknizomai. Splonk needs, oh my. I'm probably butchering it, so you probably shouldn't repeat me. Um, but this word, this compassion, it's, it's, it means to be moved in your guts. To be moved in your guts. That you see something and it's like gut-wrenching. Have you ever felt that way? Where you see someone and you're like, oh. The English word compassion, uh, it comes from from Latin, it comes from com, which means with, and pati, which means to suffer. So the word that we use, compassion, means to suffer with someone. When you feel that in your guts, it's like you're feeling their pain. You're feeling their, their anguish. And this is what the incarnation is all about. This is what Jesus coming to earth is all about. It's a God who, who's not somewhere else. He's not out there looking in. But he comes down, he's, he's feeling what we feel, he's aching how we ache, and he's suffering with us. This is the God that we worship. The God that we worship didn't stay out there. The God that we worship came here to be with us. 
Brenna Brown, um, she, Joe mentioned her last week. She is a, um, a researcher from the University of Texas, and her uh, study is all around shame, shame and vulnerability. Um, and so she talks about compassion and, and some of these things, and her definition for compassion is it's a deeply held belief that we are inextricably connected to each other by something rooted in love and goodness. Compassion is a deeply held belief that we are inextricably connected to each other by something rooted in love and goodness. And, and she believes, and, and I believe, and I think many of you believe, that, that that thing that connects us is God. That we are all made in the image of God, and so therefore we are all connected to one another. But the reality is, and this is something that I've experienced personally, is that we don't really, we don't always care deeply about someone or something until we have an experience like that other person. For example, I have a couple friends on um, Facebook, people that I've met and that I'm not really connected to anymore, but I follow them on Facebook. And and both of these uh, families have have children who have been big diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. And if anybody knows about cystic fibrosis, it's a, it's a chronic disease. You, it's genetic. It's it, with you for the rest of your life, and it is, it is excruciating. The, the pain that the children have to go through and all of the work that people have to done, if you have never heard of it, you can look it up. Um, but what I've realized and what these women are also trying to educate is that we don't really know about these things until we know someone who experiences it. I've never heard of CF until I met this woman who had a child who has CF. And so now I care deeply about it. I think about, so one of the things is germs. I think about germs now because if her son was here, then he could get sick very easily and his body doesn't have the strength to fight. And so I think about that now because I know this family that's wrestling with this. When I see, there was um, there was a, a news report on, um, on I'm not going to say what channel, whatever, you can look it up, um, but that had, had a, a video, uh, and it was talking about aggressive panhandling, because um, they're addressing that in the city right now, and I got, like, furious, almost, probably is how Joe would describe it, because I was, like, yelling at him, <laughs> um, because they had this video of this man who is so gentle and so loving, will barely look me in the eyes, like, is the most kind human being, but he stands out there and he asks for money, but he's so kind. And so my heart just like broke because they're talking about aggressive panhandling, but I know this man. And, but I don't think I would have had that experience if I didn't know him. I wouldn't have said, oh, that's not, that's not right. So we don't typically have this type of what I would call empathy unless we've had these shared experiences. So sympathy says, your experience sucks. No one should have to go through that. I don't want to go through that, so I'm going to walk away from you, right? Like, uh, stay over there. How can I get as far away from you as possible? Because that situation sucks so bad. But empathy is when, well, compassion. Compassion says, wow, no one should have to go through that. My, my in my guts, I'm, I feel so bad for you. That's compassion. Like you can feel it in your guts that your heart hurts for that person. Compassion for ourselves and for others, it increases our connection, right? When we feel compassion for someone, our connection increases. But it has to go one step further. Just like God coming to earth, we also have to suffer with people. Empathy is a skill set to bring compassion alive. Empathy is taught. Empathy is how we communicate this deep love, this deep connection for people. Empathy says, wow, your situation sucks. No one should have to go through that. I've been through something similar. I've felt those same things. Let me walk with you, and we can get through this together. Empathy touches a place in me that has been where you have been. I've been here before, and I can walk with you as you go through it. 
Now, I, I read this in a, in a um, there was a research on teaching children empathy. And, um, and this, this line caught me because I thought it was so um, key to some of the experiences that we're, that we're dealing with in our world right now. Empathy is linked to moral action. So it's a feeling that compels people to act compassionately when reason alone might not. Empathy compels us to act compassionately when reason alone or laws or time. They may say, no, you're not acting this way. We have these, this strict stop right here. But compassion says, empathy says, no, I'm going to go further. I know it's not reasonable, but I'm going to move into that space. Acting empathically out of compassion is going to change this world. Jesus says in Matthew 9, he says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send more. Now, I had this thought a couple months ago. Um, I realized that I didn't start praying for stuff until I was ready to act. Because, you know, once you start praying, God's like, here you go. It's yours. You prayed for it. And Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send more. And I think we need to start praying for more workers. As a church and as, as, a, as a local church here, but as a church worldwide, that we need to start acting from, asking for more workers because the harvest is plentiful. There are so many people that need healing and need to know the love of God. And I also realized once I started praying that God was showing me that I need to be the answer to my prayer. So when I start, I can't just say, God, will you send more people? And then I keep sitting on my couch on scrolling on Facebook. God is calling me through my prayers, through my experience, and through the compassion that he's given me to be the answer to my prayers. Now, some of us ask, you know, how do I act empathically with people that I've never had the same experience? And I, and I think that, that on some level that is true. We haven't maybe had those same experiences. I've never had a child who has CF, but I know that my child's been sick and it's been painful. I know what it's like to be a mom and your son throws a fit in the mall. I know what that's like. I know as a woman, I know what it's like to, um, to be degraded by men. And so maybe I, I've never been a sex worker, but not maybe. I've never been a sex worker. But I know what it's like for men to say degrading things. And I, and I can have that, that experience with, share that experience with women. And so some of the ways that practically Joe's going to... Um, going to interview a friend of ours, some of the ways that we, can, that we can learn empathy is by building relationships with people who are different from us. Hearing their stories, finding that connection, and then their stories can start to become our stories. I have a lot more to say, but I'm going to let Joe come up here because I think you get it. But, um, yeah. Awesome. Thanks, babe. Thanks. We're married, by the way. I can call her babe. It's not degrading. I don't think. I'll find out later. Um, uh, I'm excited about this next portion. Um, I have a friend uh, with us. Uh, some of you have actually met him. Uh, he was a part of our uh, local missions class and uh, uh, gave us a tour at a uh, at a homeless camp here in Columbus as part of kind of learning what it means to engage in issues of compassion. What does it mean to love people who are suffering? And so D'Artagnan, if you want to come up, we're going to do a little uh, interview and uh, you get to know D'Artagnan and hear his thoughts. I met D'Artagnan um, when uh, I went to the memorial service for those who passed away while living outside. So as you can imagine, those who are homeless specifically those who are not living in, um, uh, well, shelters in general, but those who are camping. Um, it's about 100 camps throughout the Columbus area. 
um, probably close to where you live. Um, there's probably, I, I would imagine it's probably safe to say that within a mile of wherever you live, there's a homeless camp. People are camping out um, and living off the land. Um, that's probably a safe assumption. Easily within, probably within a half mile even. There's a couple in Grandview. There's 162 camps total in so we, I met Dart um, at a memorial service for those who died um, while outside. Um, a lot of times they don't have their own funeral services, and so we went to one. It's a, at a church downtown, and um, it was a, just a memorial service. And Dart was uh, the one who got to um, the honor um, to uh, read the names of those who had passed away in the, in the previous year. And uh, met him there, and we started getting coffee at McDonald's and um, hanging out. And then he started coming to Bible study on Thursday nights and uh, was a part of our class and um, uh, done a lot of other stuff. So why don't you tell us, um, why don't you introduce yourself briefly and share a little bit of um, some of the homeless outreach that you've been engaged in over the years and um, just give us some context. Also, I'm going to just ask him a lot of questions. We're not going to spend a lot of time with this today, but you're welcome to chat with him afterwards. And I've given him permission to just, we haven't rehearsed any of this, so he doesn't have to answer any of my questions. I tend to be very probing and very personal, so you know that about me. And so you can say, no thanks. And uh, he has permission to do that, so no worries. But why don't you just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your homeless outreach. Uh, my name is D'Artagnan Schultz. I've been on and off the streets myself for 16, 17 years, but during the time that I've also been on and off the streets, I've also been a homeless advocate for 16 plus years. I originally started with helping set up a homeless reintegration program in the YMCA that helps get people off the streets and once they stay in the program for six months to a year, they get into full-time housing. Um, that's been going strong for 16 plus years. Now that's transitioned into a bigger program where it's uh, countywide. Um, I work with several different groups around town to help feed uh, the homeless, uh, give uh, clothing, uh, warm blankets, uh, first aid care on for some of the camps. Um, I also help, uh, I've done a couple interviews on um, with a couple different news stations. I've been uh, talking with Joe because he's wanting to better understand the homeless community and where homelessness uh, starts from because most people automatically come to assumptions when they see a homeless person. What are some of the assumptions from your experience? Uh, for the most part, a lot of people that I talk to, some of the first things they think is either drug addict or alcoholic or someone with severe mental health issues that just don't care about themselves. But nine times out of 10, every one of them issues that may or may not be true stem from something else. And without helping that core issue, they're not gonna get out of that type of situation. Yeah. Um, so, so at the memorial service, obviously people have passed away and you've, you've actually, like you've encountered and you've actually been one of the first responders to some of that. Mm. Could you share a little bit like just like the trauma of, of realizing that people, people die outside? Um, uh, one of the shared. one of the names that was on the list this year was in a camp that I was actively staying in, and um, another one of the campers had came up on him, saw him laying on the ground uh, outside of his tent. Everyone else was scared to even check on him. Me having passed medical training, and I've been a homeless advocate for 16 plus years. It's not the first dead dead body I've seen, which is is hard heartbreaking but there's also a process in order to keep the camp safe and not be ran off so i made the correct call i checked his vitals verified that he was passed away i made the correct calls in order to get the police and the coroner in there to get take care of the body and during that process the railroad which was the property where the camp was uh living on 
was trying to run the entire camp off like within 24 hours and I negotiated with them to give them a week and a half to be able to move to another location instead of losing everything because they had to move out within 24 hours. Now, why do, um, why do people, so there's obviously shelters, right? There's lots of shelters available. There's one down the street from us. Which is why, highly overpopulated. Wh but why, what are some of the other reasons for why you would choose and others choose to camp to live outside as opposed to go to a shelter? What are some of your experience around that? A lot of the issues in uh, a lot of the shelters around town is that's where a lot of the drug addicts and alcoholics uh, hang out because that's where they either get their drugs from or they'll st steal around the neighborhood uh, because usually shelters have other people that come to see them and then they might leave stuff in their cars or they might bum money off of them. And it's an issue to live in some of the shelters because uh, you might get some of your stuff stolen. So a lot of people choose to live in camps because it's somewhat safer than living in a shelter. You can secure your stuff somewhat better than you can in a shelter. So, and you can store more stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so shelter... In a shelter, you literally live out of a duffel bag. That's all you're allowed to have. They don't give you any more room to gather more things to try, try and save things for when you do move into a place. You literally can only live out of either a book bag or a duffel bag. Um, so, uh, so people who are homeless, the assumption is, is that they're not working. So tell us a little bit about your experience of people who are living outside or in shelters who are trying to work or actively working. What, what have, how often uh, does that And one of the homeless camps that I was in, there's a 58-year-old lady that, uh, African-American lady that lives in the camp. She has some mental health issues, but she actively works for a temp service three to four days a week just to be able to get through because everyone has their own habits. I know some people in here may smoke cigarettes or once in a while have a drink. Everyone has their own, I don't know what the word would be for it, but everyone has something that they like to do. Well, she works three to four days in order to pay her phone bill, in order to give money to her kids, pay for her cigarettes, and once in a while she'll have a drink. Other than that, she goes out and uh, eats a good meal once a day and that's the money she uses instead of going out to beg for money she goes out and works for what money she gets from your experience we're going to talk about panhandling real briefly and i'm watching the time um so there is obviously the homeless who are panhandling they're very visible like you can see them they're on the corner what um what has it been your experience in regards to about how many are finding work through honorable means versus begging or asking for money. Is it, do you, do, you, do you have a guess on how many from your experience are doing one versus the other or a combination? The uh, estimated total of actual homeless people on the street right now is somewhere around, uh, I think it was 4,800 uh, people in the downtown and surrounding area that are either living on porches in the alleys, uh, in camps or in some form maybe about 150 to 200 of them are actually going out and panhandling. Then there's, I know of at least, that was documented this year, about five to 700 of them that have active jobs, but even with uh, working part-time because a lot of companies don't wanna pay for healthcare, and minimum wage, they can't even afford to pay for a one-bedroom apartment with what income that they have coming in. So when it comes to panhandling, uh, this is a question I get um, because we are a church that we are striving to be compassionate. We're trying to love people in the margins. And people know that, and sometimes we don't know how. So one question I get is, should I give money to panhandlers? So what's your take on it? What I usually do when I do have extra money, I'll go to Wendy's, McDonald's, or Taco Bell, and I'll buy $5 gift cards, maybe about 15, 20 at a time. And instead of 
passing out cash and not knowing where, where it's going. A lot of the homeless people say that they're hungry. So I'll give them a $5 gift card and say, here, go get something to eat. If they say that they're thirsty right then, I keep a case of water in my car and I give them wa uh, water. I also keep cans of um, like soup and um, vegetables and stuff in my car to also pass out uh, that instead of just handing out cash and not being sure where that money might go. Um, so let's say I've just made a decision and this is actually relatively true to me that I'm just not going to give to panhandlers. I want to be compassionate and I want to be generous and this is something that's really important to me, but I'm, I just, that's not where I'm going to be generous. How can I still be respectful, compassionate, loving to someone if I'm not going to give them anything? Let's just say I don't, I'm just not going to. Is it, is it still possible to be respectful and yeah. Sometimes a lot of the homeless people aren't really, yes, they do need money, but they're looking for some kind of connection because they're, they're considered the wor uh, worst of the worst because they supposedly can't financially uh, pay for their own rent and stuff, even though if you look at statistics, minimum wage for uh, a couple uh, working full-time still can't pay for a two-bedroom uh, two-bedroom apartment in the city anywhere uh, a lot of times just making a connection with that person talking to them finding out what is wrong what their daily life is and then from there you might have an idea of maybe I can make a call here or there or anything from there is possible so um are you comfortable sharing a little bit what happened to your most recent camp? As we kind of just, we'll talk about the GoFundMe. You don't have to go into detail. Uh, I can tell them. You can. I've already told you most of it. So I won't, I won't tell the whole story, but um, so the, we, he took us to his camp um, uh, during the class and then through a series of events I won't get into, there were some people who um, wanted retribution against Artanian and ended up destroying and stealing his, the camp and, and everything. So um, recently, just in the last, what, week, you've had to set up camp somewhere else. So D'Artagnan, I'm just going to, you know, I asked him if I could say this part ahead of time. But, you know, he's, uh, he's on a waiting list for housing. He's currently looking for a job, and I'm looking for affordable housing. The big thing is I think we can probably get the funds for some of the initial stuff to get into housing, but it's the issue of, like, being able to pay for it ongoing, right? Like, you, you need to... He needs to have that ongoing income. So I will say, if you know of any uh, uh, job opportunities, um, uh, you can hit him up afterwards. And um, we also created a GoFundMe specifically for Dart just to kind of create a little bit of a nest egg that could potentially help him when um, he has the long-term sustainability set up to be able to uh, afford some of that. And so uh, we can share that link with you as well. And we've shared it with a, a few people. But um, I'm trying to think. Um, we have like maybe just a couple, just one or two more minutes before our closing song. Is there anything else that, is there, is there any questions you all might have that you wanna throw out there? I told him we might open it up if we have time. Yeah, Heidi, and then. Um, a lot of a lot of the homeless people uh, use baby wipes to clean themselves up on a daily uh, basis. They also use ba uh, baby wipes uh, when it it's on and off rain because toilet paper gets wet and it ends up getting destroyed. Um, deodorant is another th thing that a lot of homeless people uh, use. Uh, uh, and sometimes them little uh, flavor packs that you can put in uh, bottles of water. Instead of them having to go out and buy soda or juice or anything, them flavor packets, they just put in a bottle of water. And it makes it uh, sometimes easier to drink in hot water. Is it more than just you drink, though? Uh, I, I pass them out all the time. <laughs> he loves those flavor packs. <laughs> Well, let's start with one, and then maybe we can chat after. You know, when I look at this, I can't imagine somebody throws up and says, my goal in life is to be homeless. Yeah. So I want to know the source. 
yeah. until we get to the story, right? Yeah. And, and so, you know, you talked about giving money out or passing somebody that yeah. can't handle it. And yeah. my problem with, with, my personal problem with that, it's, it's more as far as, yeah. so we were talking about just giving them money, where's that money going to go? And, and that doesn't, that may solve the five minute problem, but it doesn't solve the yeah. long term problem. And I, and I think a lot of it, and you'll know better than I because you're around these people every day, but I think a lot of it is rooted in mental illness with a lot of these people that is untreated. In one form or another, there is some form of mental health, whether it be um, PTSD, PTSD uh, depression, uh, loss of loved one, um, that they just can't handle that loss. So they just hide from the world. I mean, there's so many different reasons of people that I've talked to that you never know what the actual reason is until you actually get to talk to them. Shelters are great and no, no problems. Um, you know, they're doing, doing the best they can. And, um, and there's one down from our street that we just, we, we volunteer there and we love them. You know, the issue is multifaceted. Neither one of us are experts. I'm not an expert. Um, Dart would be the closest thing to an expert because he, He's lived it. Um, the answer to your question, though, would be um, the, every story is different. Um, there are some issues that are trends. Um, one of the one of the things we've noticed. Th this is just from my observations, and I didn't go to school for this. But um, you know, sex offenders have very limited uh, housing options, especially affordable housing options. So there are a number of sex offenders who are homeless simply because even if they had the the if they could afford housing, it's to struggle getting the housing in a place where they're legally allowed to live. Um, and so there's some issues around that. And then, of course, you got PTSD, you got trauma, and, and generations of dysfunction and poverty. So people just, um, I have a friend who honestly, I think he's addicted to dysfunction and violence. He's just addicted to it. He, he's attracted to it. Um, uh, and, and Dart knows who I'm talking about. And he, he just, he finds himself getting into these really violent, dysfunctional, toxic relationships and encounters all the time, and that just perpetuates the problem, but that's always ever known. And so there are lots of issues. There are some really great programs that are doing some more uh, systemic work in regards to detox, um, workforce development. There's some great programs in the city. When I talk to somebody who um, works in that world, um, Ben Sears is a great resource. It'd be worth checking with if you want to have some more uh, uh, conversation, um, Dart knows Ben as well, and he's, he's a brilliant guy and, and a big heart, and he works for Mount Carmel and with homeless outreach. Well, one of the things that I asked him, I said, well, what can the church do? And one of the biggest needs for um, the homeless isn't necessarily connecting with these resources because those resources are already available. The common denominator amongst, um, this is from the open shelter, so this guy, um, what's his name? Ken Andrews. Ken, um, Kent. Kent. He's done this for 30 years, and he said the common denominator, every story is different, but the common denominator amongst those who are homeless is this. This is his words. They um, lack a support structure that they trust. So it's not even necessarily lack a support structure, but it's lack, they lack one that they trust. And so one of the issues around curving, and so the whole entire social services department around you know social workers etc is built around i help you accomplish something and then i then you move on so the relationship is always limited in the amount of time or commitment that you can have with somebody which indirectly hurts their ability to then trust people long term right it's, there's no long term relationship i don't know that you're going to be here a year from now and usually social workers or case managers won't be with you you'll have a different one next year and a different one in 6 months so it perpetuates this struggle that you have trusting people because of your your early home life your maybe abuse you experienced trauma whatever so one of the things that ben said around the church is like what one of the things we can do is we can invest in relationships we can come along and we become we can build trust we can be there during some of the difficult times. We can decide at times where I'm no longer going to invest in you. We're pretty close with a couple people that me and Dart know. I'm like, I'm, I'm almost done with you. And uh, Alyssa, too. Um, but, but. This is all about boundaries, too. And so when we think about it, you don't want to go at night and go find homeless people and hand them a can of soup. It's not, that's not okay. So, so we all, we all have to, 
to come up with these boundaries, even in a relationship, even in my relation with Joe, I have to say, I have to tell him this is okay and this is not okay. And that's what boundaries are. And a lot of times when we think of compassionate people, we think, oh, well, they're nice. They wear their heart on their sleeves. They let everyone walk all over them. And that's not what we want to do because then that is not sustainable. If you do that, you will not be here tomorrow to help someone else. So what boundaries do and what, what we can do with people in relationship, what we're going to say with this couple is not that you're never allowed here, we're never going to talk to you again, but we're going to say this is what's okay and this is what's not okay. And so the relationship is still there. You can still come to us when you need us, but this is what's okay and this is what's not okay. And those are the kinds of relationships that we can build with people. So it's they're compassionate, but they have boundaries. And the other thing with this guy from who said from the open shelter is that we all have relationships on our terms. But people who are in social services, the term limit is set for them. You're here for 30 days, and then you go on to the next person. You're here for a month, you go on to the next person. What we can say is the church, within boundaries, is that I will be here, and it's your cho- your decision if you want to use this relationship. So, um, we'd love to chat about this more, and um, and uh, we're we're just uh, we don't really have a lot of answers. But what we are talking about today is compassion, and I hope you felt a little bit of something in your gut. You know, as we've shared some of these things and as we've talked about some of the issues, I hope you, I hope you feel a little something in your gut. That's compassion. You should. And so we constantly are trying to find ways we as a church can uniquely in the name of Jesus um, and with the love of Christ and the, the focus on relationships do that. I'm going to ask Dart one more question before I do. I'm going to invite the band to come up for our closing song, get kind of set up. And the last question I have for you, Dart, is as a church, um, as a church that's striving to be compassionate and as a church that wants to be diverse, what can we do on a Sunday morning to make sure that, you know, just everyone feels welcome, that, that someone walks in off the street or whatever, um, that they would be like, oh, this is, this is the church I would want to come to. Do you have any thoughts on that? There's an, there's an old saying, never judge a book by its cover. Always read the bo- book first. Enough said. All right, well, let's pray. Okay, yeah, thanks, thanks, Dart, for sharing this. Uh, it takes a lot to come up here and share a little bit. And, um, you know, Dart would, I'm sure, answer your questions. And um, we do have a class that unpacks some of these issues more that we'll offer again probably in the fall. So you can look for that. But let's pray. God, we come before you. And, um, Lord, we know that there are uh, just all of these issues are extremely complicated. That when we try to approach them, um, as Alyssa said, with reason and trying to find clear answers, that sometimes it's difficult. But one thing we know for sure, you've called us to love that you've called us to suffer alongside one another, that we're called to, to go and, and be with people, to move into the neighborhood, so to speak, to incarnate um, like you did. You, you came and you, you suffered in every way we did, as Hebrews tells us, and that you chose to not love us from a distance, but to come up close and to sit with people that your peers we're not okay with you sitting with. That you came and you loved prostitutes and tax collectors and you entered into relationships at such a level that you became known as a friend of sinners. Lord, we repent that as a church in America, we're not usually known for being a friend of sinners. And we ask that you'd help us do that. It's your name we pray, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.